Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're studying from this passage this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Take this time to thank Joseph and this congregation for inviting me to come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. I I think it's the first time I've ever been in a conference where I was the only one. (laughs) There are others, but... uh, Lord, by his divine providence, has stuck you with me. Um, but I'm nothing, so what does it matter? Um, Christ is all. And I long for you to hear him. Um, let's uh, read this passage of Scripture together, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the previous chapter, the apostle here is exposing the foolishness of this church of Corinth. This church was exalting preachers. They were exalting men. Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. They They exalted the preachers. And he reveals to them that preaching is necessary. He says in chapter 1 and verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The preaching of the gospel is necessary. This is the means that God has chosen to call His elect people And he plainly displays this, that those who are preaching it are nothing. We are nothing. We are merely messengers sent of God to declare His Word to you. And we who preach this gospel, we confess we have no power whatsoever to make this gospel effectual to you. No power. We have no power to save anyone. We cannot make you receive this message. We confess that this message must be given to you of the Spirit of God. He must come in power and take the message, apply it to your heart, and make it effectual. He must do this. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel is chosen for this reason to abase men and exalt God. This is the means. I remember when I was in college learning, it was studying to be a teacher, and they said that auditory learning is the least effective. You see that? God used the least effective, the most foolish, to deliver His message. Why? That man should be abased. The wisdom of man should be put down 
and the power and glory of God should be exalted. The gospel then we preach reveals the perfect weakness of man, the total depravity of man, so that no one is able to boast in their works or their will or have any part in salvation. The gospel that we preach exalts God and glorifies Him because we preach this message, salvation is of the Lord. 100% of Him. That's what He says at the end of the, this uh, chapter. He says in verse 28, I've chosen the base things of the world and things which are despised hath, yet, hath God chosen, yea, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are for this purpose, that no flesh should glory in His presence. No flesh should glory in His presence. And this is our message, but of Him are you in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Who receives the glory for that? But of Him are you in Christ Jesus. Who, Christ Jesus of God, is made unto us. Wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. If we are saved, it must be by the sovereign will of the Father who put us in Christ. If we are saved, it must be by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. If we have experienced salvation, it must be by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's all of God. It's all of God. Where's room for bragging? Where is room for man to boast in anything? There's no room. And what is the means then of the Spirit? It is this matter of preaching. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said, We are bound to give thanks always to you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. And here's the means. Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That the Spirit should come and make us holy and give us faith. But how does this sanctification and this belief come? He says, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as it is written, he that glorieth, he that glorieth, you glory? I do, just not in me. <laughs> I glory not in you. I glory in God. I glory in God. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So now in our text, the apostle calls these brethren to a practical and personal remembrance. A practical and personal remembrance of how He came to them. Look at that in verse 1. He says, I, brethren. He's calling them to remembrance. Brethren, remember. Remember when I came to you. Do you remember that? That's what He's saying. Do you remember that? When I came to you? How did I come to you? When I came to you, how did I come? He said, I came not with excellency of speech or of, the, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul said, I didn't come with skill. I didn't come with skill. I didn't come with 
and preaching the wisdom of man. I didn't come to tickle your fancy with wisdom of this world, with intellect. I didn't come preaching intellect. Paul says, I came to you preaching, not in the wisdom of man. He said, this church of Corinth now was a place of great learning. It was a place of wisdom. It was a place where men gathered together to hear something new. I'll tell you this, we, we're in a generation that wants to hear something new. Always something new. God's people don't have any interest in hearing anything new. When you came here and sat here, you did not expect me to hear anything new. And I'm not expecting to preach anything new. I came to preach the old paths. I came to preach a salvation long before purposed and accomplished. This place, they, was a, they always wanted to hear something deep and profound. And Paul said, I, did, I came with none of those things. I came with none of those things. I did not come to debate with you, to tickle your ears with some kind of understanding of philosophy, but came with this simple thing, declaring to you the testimony of God. My determination in all of the message we are going to hear this weekend is this, the testimony of God. You don't want to hear my opinion. I know you love me, but you don't want to hear my opinion. I don't really care about yours. I want to hear what God says. Is that all that matters? What does it matter what you think or what I think? What does God say? What is this testimony of God that he's going to preach? He said, I came with the testimony of God. The flesh puts emphasis on then on preachers' abilities, doesn't it? He came preaching and not trusting and boasting in anything. He came preaching the testimony of God without the wisdom of man, without any need of oratory skill, but plainness of speech. You know, I want to be as a preacher of the gospel. I always want to be plain. I had determined to be plain. I read a lot of men that are very, very high, very intellectual. And when I read their stuff, I want, it, I want it dumbed down to where we all can understand it. I want to be as plain as I can so you don't misunderstand me. When I'm talking about the testimony of God tonight, I want, you to, I want you all to be able to understand, even little kids. I want them to understand what I'm saying. I'm going to be plain. That's what Paul was. Now, Paul could have put forth a great argument, couldn't he? Paul was, Paul was intellectual. Paul was great. He was, he was learned in, in philosophy and religion, but that's not what he came here to do. Paul here displays the manner of conduct of his preaching, not with excellency of speech. Look at this in verse 3. He said, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, I was in weakness. I don't know. Every time I stand up here, I, I, I feel more my weakness, my inability to do this. When I first started preaching, I thought I had some ability. I don't have it. I don't have it. And I don't trust in it. Paul came preaching and not trusting and boasting in any of his ability to persuade men or save souls. 
He came not with the authority of man or the wisdom of man, but he rested in the testimony of God. The flesh does put much emphasis on ability, doesn't it? I suppose if somebody were loud and boastful, that they can, they preach with authority. Boy, he preached with authority. Did you hear it? If that's my authority, that's no authority at all. If the, my voice is authority, that's not authority. My authority comes from this. Thus saith the Lord. If, you, if you're preaching anything other than thus saith the Lord, you should kick me out and anybody else out. Thus saith the Lord is my authority. That's what Paul said. I came with the testimony of God. And I'll tell you this. If men persuade men, then somebody else come along and persuade them in something else. I've seen it. I've seen men be persuaded, man. They were Armenian to the core, and then they turned Calvinist, and then they turned Russian Orthodox. They just, you know, they just keep converting to something else. Why? Because they're converted by men. We don't, we don't convert people. If you believe because of the power of the man, you'll, you'll sure, sure be gone pretty soon. But if the Holy Spirit ever convinced you of this, if the testimony of God ever strike your heart, nothing will move you from Christ. <laughs> Isn't that good? Our Lord said that. He said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? Our Lord never spoke in maybes. <laughs> His word is yea and amen. And so we are persuaded of the Spirit of God, not by the wisdom of man, not by the ability of the preacher, but by the power of the Spirit. Therefore, Paul says, I came this way and in this manner, and look what he determined to do. He says in verse 2, when I came in that manner, listen, I had one determination, one purpose when I came to you, declaring the testimony of God, and that is this. Here's the testimony of God. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the whole testimony of God. Summed up in that small statement. And Paul, he said, I determined. He was willingly determined not to know anything among them. You see, he didn't come checking the pulse of the church to see what they needed. He didn't come around asking people, how you doing? trying to figure out what to preach. No. We don't come that way. We preach. We are determined not to know anything except the testimony of God, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. When He talked to the church in Ephesus on His last, knew He was going to die, and He was going to talk to that those elders. You know what He he, he reported this. He said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. And so by this determination to preach Christ and Him crucified, Paul says what he said before in chapter 1 and verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. This is our determination. Always, constantly. We have one message. I preach it from any place in the Scripture, but it's always the same. It's always Jesus Christ, His person, Jesus Christ and His work. That's it. This is the whole counsel of God. 
Paul said in another place, God forbid I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. The sum of the ministry of every man sent of God is to preach. We Preaching is necessary. But what is the message of our preaching? It is Christ and Him crucified. And what does Paul mean by this short description? How can one phrase encapsulate the whole counsel of God? Does he mean that all we preach is one point? Yes. <laughs> yes. In another place, Paul says, I fear lest you be moved from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. That means singleness. There is one message. If you're lost tonight, there's only one message you need. If you are saved, there's only one message you need. Jesus Christ. And Him crucified. That's all I care to preach. It's all you care to hear. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We preach this because this is the whole counsel of God. It's the whole Word of God. I tell you, the crucifixion of Christ Jesus is the hinge and hub of all time and eternity. <laughs> you realize that? That everything went that went before the crucifixion led up to it. And everything from that point on looks back to it. It's the center of all time and eternity. The crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. All the salvation of men depend upon it. If there's any saved, it is because of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, we know this, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know what he's talking about? Jesus Christ, Him crucified. <laughs> What's profitable for, for correction, instruction in righteousness? Jesus Christ, Him crucified. The gospel. How did Paul, what was Paul intent in straightening out this church? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Him crucified. That's it. That's all we're here to do. Because that's all the Word of God testifies of. Remember when Jesus was risen from the dead and His apostles were walking sad and He comes along beside them and He said, Why are you so sad? And they said, Where have you, where you been under a rock? <laughs> Don't you know what has happened? This man, Jesus, we thought was the Messiah. They crucified Him and He's dead and buried and Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now what do all the prophets speak about? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? That's what the prophets talked about. Then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, what? Things concerning himself. Look, if you go to this book, for psychology, for philosophy, for any other reason than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you missed the whole point of the book. You're wrong. 
The whole point of every chapter and verse is to point us to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. The whole word of God testifies of Christ and his redemption, his work upon the cross. Christ is the key to all knowledge and salvation. He is the key to understanding the word of God. And so if any man neglects this, If he neglects to preach Christ and him crucified, Jesus said this, Woe to you lawyers! For you have taken the key, taken away the key of knowledge. You enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, you hindered. So what's the key? Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is our determination? To preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, let us look and prove our message of Jesus Christ and him crucified as the whole counsel of God. First of all, in preaching the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, I am preaching the eternal counsel of God. The eternal covenant of grace when I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we know that whatsoever God purposed to do in eternity, he does. He said... He said this, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. What is the will of God? What is the determination of God? When you look around, you don't know. Often we're confused as to what's going on. I know what's going on. The will of God is going on. Whatever God determined to happen is happening. And it's happening for this purpose. For the salvation of His people. The fulfillment of His covenant of grace. That's what's happening. This was the eternal declaration of God's sovereign counsel. That must stand even the election of Jesus Christ to be our surety. You see, he was the first elect. (laughs) He was the first chosen. Jesus Christ was chosen of God to be our surety. He was purposed of God to be our high priest. The high priest and surety of all the elect. Go to Ephesians 1. You know it well. But it sure... Blesses my heart to read it often. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a statement. Blessed be God the Father. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now what were we chosen for? That we should be holy and without blame before him. Isn't that wonderful? This is the counsel of God. This is the will of God. That His people should be holy and without blame. I told you, whatever God determined to do, He does. He's going to do. This is what He determined in eternity. And here's His motive. In love. (laughs) In love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by, listen, by who? Jesus Christ to himself. 
according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now look at verse 11. Paul says, In whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Well, who first trusted in Christ? God first trusted in Christ. God trusted Christ to be all the salvation of his elect people. And behold, the glory of God was put into his trust. The full weight and salvation of God's elect from eternity rested upon this one person. I don't know. You're a believer. This has got to lift the weight off. There's no weight at all. Don't you see that all the weight of the, your salvation rested on him? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon whose shoulders? He is. In that eternal covenant of grace, Jesus Christ was made responsible for the salvation of his people. Great. That's just glorious. Why do you think we preach Jesus Christ? Because God first trusted in him. God put all the salvation upon him. And the eternal purpose of God, he not only trusted Christ to accomplish the salvation, but decreed the means by which he should accomplish it. We should be saved and made holy by Jesus Christ. He decreed the means by which we should be made holy. By the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should be made holy. By Jesus Christ's work. That's why John could say this in Revelation. As he saw the Lamb, he says he is as a Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's how he could say that. Because he was. In the mind and purpose of God, he's already slain. Christ was already slain. So then we preach Jesus Christ and crucified. We are preaching the eternal counsel of God. That God chose a people before the foundation of the world, gave them to His Son, and trusted Christ to be all their salvation by His offering, by His death. Secondly, the message we preach declares the depravity of man. When I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I am declaring to you the depravity of man. Always. Always. The Word of God tells us that Adam was the father of us all. That he represented us in the garden of God so that when Adam in full open rebellion sinned, his just punishment passed to his whole race. Go to Romans 12. I mean Romans 5. Romans 5. Verse 12. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered in the world. I want you to know Satan didn't bring sin in this world. Satan represented nobody. When Eve sinned, she did not bring sin into this world. She represented no one. Adam represented his whole race. And when he sinned, 
sin entered into the world. And the result, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. The Scriptures tell us that as Adam was a representative, and all his race sinned in him. Listen, he was only to be a type. He was a type. Because Adam is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ in that this, that he is a representative man. Christ is a representative man of all his people. Adam was a figure of him to come. In verse 14, you read that. He was a figure of him to come. In another place, Jesus is called the second Adam. Now, why was it necessary for Jesus to be the second Adam? Why must the Son of God represent and be made surety for Adam's fallen race, some of Adam's race. Even because Adam's fall was complete. Adam's fall was a perfect fall. An absolute fall. The fall of Adam was so absolute that his entire race was ruined. I don't think we, 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 we fully feel the, the magnitude of that. That there is no man that ever has escaped that sin nature that was passed down from Adam. In Adam all die. And the result of this, what is the result of this death? There is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all together. Put them all together. They are unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Not by the merits of flesh or religious exercise. No flesh. None will be saved by his works or by his will. None will be saved by his merits or religious ceremonies. In fact, if you mix Christ with anything, you'll die. Remember Uzzah? That Lord David carried that ark on that, that cart. Wasn't against the, the word of God. He carried it on a cart. And that ark stumbled and that, that beautiful ark of the covenant was about to fall and Uzzah put his hand up to hold it up. And what happened? God killed him. It's a picture here. It's a lesson here. You put your hand to the work of Christ, you defile it. Christ, Paul said in Galatians, if you be circumcised and you put anything in there, if you be baptized, if you eat the Lord's Supper, if you join the church, if you do this or do that, if you do anything, you add anything to Christ, Christ shall profit you nothing. Nothing. And so when we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we must preach man's need of the cross. Man's need of the cross. Therefore, seeing the elect are all born dead and unable to save themselves, God sent His Son, the second Adam, 
to accomplish salvation by the blood of his cross. Romans 5 verse 18, Therefore by the offense of one judgment came to all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came unto all men unto justification of life. For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So by preaching Christ and Him crucified, we know why sin entered into this world in the first place. It was according to the purpose of God. Why? So that God through Jesus Christ might receive all the glory for the salvation of sinners. The third thing, our message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified declares the holiness of God. When Adam fell, he lost all righteousness and all ability to be holy. Now pay attention to this. When he lost the ability to be holy, God did not lose his right to demand it. When I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I am declaring to you the absolute holiness of God. The absolute, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. God says, be ye holy, even as I am holy. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. And the word of God is plain in this, that every sin must and will be punished. How then may a man be made acceptable to God? How may we enter into the presence of God? David asked this question in Psalms 24. He said, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? That's a good question, isn't it? Seeing we are all born in Adam and all died in Adam... How in the world may we stand before a holy God? The only way is for you to be holy. He said, he that had clean hands and a pure heart. Who's that? None of us. If you're honest and in the least bit with yourself, you know that's not you. Who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So who can be saved? Who can be accepted? Well, this is the message we preach. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is the only one who had clean hands and a pure heart. He alone received the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Only those who are made white then by the work of Jesus Christ may be able to stand before God. How? This is the message of substitution. The message we preach of Jesus Christ and him crucified is a message of substitution. That God made Christ to be surety for His elect, and at the appointed time, He came in human flesh and actually accomplished salvation. Behold Him, Jesus Christ. He is God manifest in the flesh. God came down and became a man. You see, He must have represented His people. In order to do that, He must Himself be made one of us. And he was. 
This is the glory of the gospel that Christ came into the world. God came in the flesh. And according to the covenant of grace, he represented all of his people. And so as he was made flesh and walked among us, he honored the law of God. He magnified it. He made it honorable. He's the only one. He's the only one. And it was through the Son of God in our nature as though he was sowing the right robe of righteousness himself. He made the righteousness of God. Consider that. He who was righteous needed no righteousness for himself. What did he come down here doing? Why did he come down to obey the law? It was not for himself. He obtained righteousness as our surety, as our representative. He was obeying the law of God for his people, for his elect. And he did. He obtained righteousness. I like that. Romans 3 and verse 22, I believe it is. He said, uh, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Thank God for that. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's how righteousness was made. It was made by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, by the obedience of Christ. And then this righteousness by the grace of God is unto all and upon all them that believe. He made righteousness. When I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I'm preaching the righteousness of God. How may a man be made righteous? Only by the righteousness of Christ. But this was not enough. We know that obedience to the law was not enough because sin must have been punished. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Therefore, Christ must not only obey the law, but in obedience, he must die. The cross of Christ was necessary. There was no salvation apart from it. Jesus himself said, for this hour have I come into the world. He determined. To die. I like that he set his face like a flint. Who could stop him? He determined to die. And I want to tell you this. When I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, I preach that he has successfully saved his people. This is, this is the best news a sinner could possibly hear. Salvation accomplished. Not made possible. I'm so thankful that, that I don't hear, I don't want to hear anything about a salvation that's just possible. There's no hope for me. But there's hope in a salvation that's already done. There's hope in that. When our Lord Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, the scripture says that. He who knew no sin, that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Mystery of mysteries. The Son of God who knew no sin, felt no sin, thought no sin, was made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
when sin was found in his son, what do you see? I see the holiness of God in the cross, don't you? That even when Christ bore our sins in his own body, God poured out justice without mercy. What do you think he's going to do to you who are outside of Christ? If he did that to his son, what is he going to do to you? But when he did that, and God's, God's justice could ask no more. What were the words of Christ? When God could ask no more, Christ said this, it is finished. We preach Jesus Christ, him crucified. We are preaching a finished salvation. Finished work. So thankful for that. And I like that in Hebrews chapter 10. Go, go read that with me one more passage here. Read it, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 9, he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Here's the eternal counsel of God. God promised to send his son, save his elect. He said, I come to do thy will. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will... We are what? Sanctified. How, how are you sanctified? I'm sanctified by the will of God. How about you? By the which will you are sanctified? Through, this is how, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times were you sanctified? Once for all. Once for all. Every high priest standeth daily ministering often and oft times the same sacrifices never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever. Who did he perfect forever? Them that are sanctified. Those that are called and sanctified by the Spirit of God. You have been perfected forever. And the last thing, when we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I want you to know this. We preach the effectual call of grace and the keeping power of the Spirit. Every time we preach Christ. If you are ever going to hear this message we preach, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. The Spirit has a purpose. His purpose is to reveal Christ to you. It's not to make you excited, to make you feel good about yourself and what you're hearing. It is this. It is to point you to Christ. And then in His power, He gives you life and faith. You believe tonight? Who did that? Who gave you that? And why in the world are you still here hearing this same message? Why? We've heard this message. How long have you heard this message? I heard this message most all my life. I don't grow tired of it. Why? Because I need Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is all my hope. He is all my salvation. And I'm so thankful this, that we who believe are kept. 
That's why I'm still here. I'm kept. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? I've thought of this. Judas betrayed Christ once. Peter did it three times. See, he was the worst sinner. But why was he saved and Judas not? Christ said, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat. Here's the difference. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Why has your faith not failed? <laughs> How many opportunities do you have of your faith failing? I'll tell you, my faith is, is at best weakness. Weak faith. But I have faith. And that faith is by the grace of God. And my faith is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, is it any wonder why we determined to do to preach this? It's the whole counsel of God. It's God's eternal counsel of grace, covenant of grace. It's, it's the message of man's depravity. It's the message of God's holiness. It's the message of effectual redemption. It's the message of an effectual call of grace. And this message gives all the glory to God and none to man. And God's people say, Amen.